First Church Charlotte. It's good to see everyone. Uh, I just pretend to see most of you because they got the lights on me and I just have to be led by the Spirit the whole time I preach and I, I just feel like this section over here is really carnal today. So that's what I'm feeling from over here. No, I'm just kidding. I love you all. God bless you all. It's an honor to come into the house of the Lord uh, with all of you. Uh, we have wisdom dr driving down here from some people, you know, they just aren't, aren't something about the front row. People in the front row struggle to follow the Lord and where they're supposed to be. We've got Melix over here. We got wisdom over here. I was sitting over here a minute ago. I don't know. Maybe I'm supposed to be in Hawaii. I, I mean, I, I could see that happening. I might lead, lead me, Lord. I will follow, you know. <laughs> no, I'm right where I want to be. God bless you all. We love you. We're reading from Colossians chapter number three, uh, verse number 12. We're going to read in the NIV translation. Um, I am in the middle of my summer experiment, and that is preaching staggered sermons. So the 11 o'clock service will hear the sermon you heard last week, and it will help me to have a sense of uh, freshness. And also, uh, since we broadcast twice, uh, from uh, once from First Church and once from C3, um, or Christ Community in Concord, um, it, it helps It helps all of that. I tell you that because all you guys are insiders, and so I want you to know all the inside details, and I want you to know I love you. It's an honor to do life with you. Oh, one more thing before I read the text. Um, we are sending all of these beautiful kids uh, to a uh, youth convention. It's a, perhaps um, a formative experience in their spiritual lives, and it is uh, quite expensive. Let me give you a quick overview. Uh, just the renting the vans is about close to seven or eight thousand dollars. Just the hotel rooms are about the same, seven or eight thousand dollars. That's not counting uh, the registration fees, which they raised a good amount of money uh, themselves to cover that. And so we have also had some uh, of our kids who, uh, due to unforeseen circumstances, haven't been able to go. We have extended the to, to help them if they uh, were in a situation where they could not go financially. We've done that. I tell you this for this reason. Uh, we're going to send these kids, if we have to put it on the credit card, I want you to feel my, my heart in this. Um, we're, we're not going to put it on the credit card unless we have to, but if we had to, we would. Let's put it that way. Um, if you would like, if you are financially blessed and you would like to support these kids going, um, I'd like to ask you, I, I, you guys know I don't take up offerings, uh, maybe once a year, uh, twice a year. I don't do that. Uh, if you'd like, just uh, whether you do it remotely uh, or you do it in the kiosks, um, uh, give, a, give what you can give. Some of you guys are so rich that carrying your wallet around hurts your back. And if you just would lighten your load and give a few hundred dollars to help these kids have transformational life experiences, God's not going to owe you any money. He's going to pay you back. All right, all right. Colossians 3, chapter number 12, NIV version. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly beloved, clothe yourself. Somebody say, clothe yourself. Clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. The five themes of Christian fashion. 
It's not my title, but it should have been. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly beloved, clothe yourself with, somebody say it with me, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. So my title for the next little while is this, Dress for Success. Now, I know what you're looking at. You're thinking, my pastor doesn't look like that when he preaches. And I want to confess to you that it was my plan to wear my best suit today. I was going to go all out like I was doing a wedding or something, and I was going to wear my best suit. And so I went through my closet. I found what I thought was my best suit, and I looked at it. And um, I thought maybe it wasn't my best suit. So I looked at my other suits, and I realized, yes, that is my best suit. And I remember buying that suit. I bought it on a trip. I did in 2015. My best suit is almost a decade old. And it has all the best of those years in its styling. And I look at some of you guys and it fills my heart with no small despair that my cool years have passed and I'm no longer pretty. (laughs) And so I decided I would not wear my best suit. Because if I told you my, my, my best suit, some of you guys would laugh in your elegance and uh, couture finery. To you, I say, this sermon is addressed. As God's chosen people, we're going to present ourselves a certain way, and that is going to be with these five themes of Christian identity, five themes of Christian identity. Are you ready for this? Five themes of Christian identity, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Now we're going to have a confession service, and we're going to take this mic, and each of you are going to come up to the front, and you're going to tell us how you're doing with compassion, how you're doing with kindness, how you're doing with humility, how you're doing with gentleness, how you're doing with patience. And after you've got done either confessing the truth and losing your friends or telling lies before all this gathering of holy people, (laughs) then we probably need to go on a seven-day fast or something like that. Um, The five themes of Christian identity. Why do I say Christian identity? And why does the apostle use this example of clothing? Let me uh, just linger here for a moment and let me try to, in some way, uh, make... uh, uh, common calls, common calls with all of you. Um, I assume you're here today because you're trying to be a Jesus follower. Can I have a big amen? I assume you're here today because you want to get scripture right. You don't want to just act holy. You don't want to just hang out with church people. You want to get scripture right. I assume you know that there's going to be people who, when they get to heaven, they had all the appearance of Christianity, all the appearance of spiritual authority, all the appearance of the power of the name, and Jesus is going to say to them, look, I, uh, we have a problem here. I know you, you look the part, act the part, all that stuff, at least around church people, but there was no spiritual intimacy between us. You never really knew what I was about. You never really knew the depths of my heart. You, you knew uh, a lot of things, but you did not know me. All of us have relationships in our life um, where we're friendly with people. And uh, the truth is, although we are kind one to another, we really don't know each other. We're kind of like a, hey, how you doing? It's like a gym friend. 
gym friends are people who you have common interest with. They play the sports you play. They do, you know, a certain habit of life. And so you feel like you get to know them. You start to wave at them as you go by. Um, and then, you know, it's one of these situations where at some point, maybe something happens and you realized, look, I, I'm friendly with this person, but I don't know them. It's like the interviews of the people who live beside the criminal, you know, live beside the serial killer. That's an uplifting subject for a Sunday morning. Um, they live and they're like, oh, we would have never known. Uh, yeah. Um, do we really know the Lord Jesus Christ or are we professionally religious? And this is a challenge that I have to deal with on a regular basis because um, if you are willing to in some way go against a thread of community appropriateness, you are in some ways treated uh, as one to be expelled. And you have to ask yourself, do I really care about getting this thing right? Or what is what I'm looking for approval? Now, if any of you have a spiritually dissimilar family where um, one of your family perhaps has a certain religious background and someone else has a different and someone else has a different and uh, maybe you are the first, uh, how shall we say, born again uh, member of your family and you have to wrestle with this issue. Okay, I know they don't like my choices, but um, is, is it enough for me to sincerely approach the scripture, open the word of God, take what it says seriously and then try to live what I claim? I am. I think you're here today because that's what you want to do. You want to please God. Can I have a big amen? You want to please God. You're not perfect. There's no risk of you being perfect anytime soon. But you want to be like a wise man and know on the horizon of your life is his star. And on the horizon of your life, there is this pull in your heart to go in that direction. I'm not going to overnight become uh, somebody who is spent years in intercessory prayer. I know that's not how spirituality works, but I also know how to put one foot in front of the other. My brothers, my sisters, if I could appeal to all of you to quit trying to be powerful and start simply putting one foot in front of the other and turn your heart, your mind, your spirituality toward the call of God in your life, you would be astonished at what you could do for the kingdom of God. You would be astonished at what you could do in your community, in your family, among your friends, in your neighborhood. In fact, the more powerful oftentimes you try to act, the less interested anybody is actually in and opening up to you. But when they feel in your heart this good passion, I, I'm far from perfect, but I'm trying to make my heart turn toward the kingdom of God. I'm far from uh, perfect, but I'm trying to pray. I'm trying to believe. Now you find in your humility a safe place for other people's vulnerability. That was better than not that amen I got. I've got my one amen corner here in the middle, and my, 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 my center team's all prayed through today, but I'm still worried about this side over here. Just full disclosure, I don't know what's going on over there. <laughs> and so uh, clothing is the single most common identifier of uh, all human groups. 
there is no more, uh, there's no more thing that you can do to identify yourself uh, than dress in a specific way. And here's the interesting thing. Jesus never one time tells anyone anywhere in any season of life how they should dress. And yet in our society, our identity becomes this natural way in which we present ourselves. Let me just real quick remind you of some of the ways that clothing becomes identity. Um, it identifies culture. Now, when we have All Nation Sunday here at the church, uh, you'll see a lot of people wear their clothing. You can see them from 300 yards away, and you know they're from a specific culture. Even if you don't know the exact ethnicity or geographic background, you have a sense of their social, their religious, and their cultural identity. It can be very much uh, traditional. It can be ethnic. Different cultures have unique, traditional, and ethnic clothing. Uh, it can have a religious symbolism to it. Uh, religious clothing is often specific to certain faiths and is a visual representation of their belief. A hijab for a Muslim woman, a turban for a, sick, a silk man, a, a Cossack for a Catholic priest, and on and on. It can even be regional. I have spent a lot of my life traveling, and I want you to know that people uh, from uh, Los Angeles dress differently than people from Monroe. There's no better. It's just different. Uh, social status uh, and social roles can be a reflection of a person's community, uh, their role, uh, their place, their occupation. Uh, it can be, in some cultures, a royal signification. Uh, it can be a uniform and on and on. It can be ceremonial. It can be festive. You can see someone dressed in a certain way and know they're going to a party. You know they don't dress like that around their house. Well, and if most people don't, I imagine there's a vast range of human experience out there. Um, it can show where you're from, how you, uh, the climate, the environment you live in. Um, it can be symbolic. It can be on and on and on. It is a communication within our, our society. And uh, Jesus never says one thing to anybody, saved or unsaved, good or bad, about how they should dress in any regard. Now, as you see the church develop, you see uh, uh, the, the strongest warning against people of high status using clothing, and we're just being biblical here, using clothing as a way of reminding other people that they have more, and we are taught modesty. You look at every mention in the New Testament, we are taught first financial modesty in our dress, um, and that is actually, if you want to go to the original language, much more referred to contextually and in terms of testimony testimonial witnesses uh, more than uh, the manner in which you probably have thought, which is uh, modesty in appropriate dress, but that is very much, that would be the second most common reference to clothing of any type. First is don't try to, uh, in some way, flout your position or wealth through, uh, money, uh, through your clothing. Secondly, don't embarrass your culture through your clothing and have some sense of the inappropriate. I've made that clear. I've established that all our, uh, all in all human societies, clothing is the most consistent form of identity. Let me say it this way. When you're teaching nervous people to, um, 
do public speaking, there is a very, very common trick that is taught uh, in many, many different formats. Now, you guys are going to laugh when I tell you this, um, but it is actually taught that whenever you're meeting powerful people and you have to talk or present and you're nervous uh, and look at the room, don't see them in their suits, don't see them in their finery. Imagine they're all sitting there in their underwears. Now, this is not what the Bible was referring to when it said some of you have entertained angels in their underwears. (laughs) I mean, unawares. Um, Why would that be an advice to teaching context? Why, why, why? Because we can be intimidated by how put together somebody is. We can be intimidated by the obvious handmade uh, Seville Row $3,000 suit with real buttons, not fake ones like I buy. You can be intimidated by a set of handmade Oxfords from the Bond Street. You can see who they are and you can let it intimidate you and you can look down at your Target outfit, which you try to dress up by calling it Target. And you can say, let's be honest, I don't belong here, and be intimidated. Now, so if clothing is identity, um, uh, let's listen to the Apostle Paul give us five fashion themes. For the Christian, how should you be known? In the same manner that a doctor can put on a white coat, put a stethoscope around his neck, and immediately be identified as a doctor. In the same manner that a, uh, a certain professionals can put on uh, some mark of their uh, profession. In the same manner that a rich person can get out of a you know limousine and be in their handmade couture clothes, uh, clothes and let you be reminded that um, you do not shop at the same store that they shop in the same manner that humanity watches in the same manner that humanity uses clothing as identity in the same manner that a Muslim woman would wear a hijab in the same manner that a you get you see where I'm going that a Jewish believer would be known by uh, if they were of a very strict group uh, 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 one of the groups that actually wears the 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 locks and the uh, you understand what I'm saying you know them you see them rushing by in an airport you know who they are it is their identity do you see you know who they are in the same manner that a police officer can put on a uniform and you what know who they are in the same manner that a fireman can pull up in a great big wagon and get out and have his little thing with his flashlight and his radio, uh, you and a, or a jacket going into a fire, you know who they are. It is the single most common identity in hum- the human story. A tribal dress, an ethnic type of, of, of clothing, uh, and on and on. You don't have to talk to them. You don't have to go on a road trip. You don't... <laughs> What are the five themes of Christian testimony? And the apostle says it like this, as God's chosen people. How would God like you to advertise yourself? 
how would God like you to be known? Uh, is the best thing for us to do to get a great big set of uh, angry Christian stickers and cover our car with them? Is the best thing for us to do to be known, to be uh, recognized by our community? How then do we find identity? Um, I, uh, I love um, when people drive by me and they have Christian music turned up real loud like they have attitude. You know how some people love music with attitude and they'll turn it up super loud and they're letting you know they're in their own space and you can go jump in the nearest river, although they would say it very differently. Um, I love, um, sometimes you'll be somewhere and someone will come by and they'll have uh, gospel music just blasting out of there and I'm like going through my day and I'm like, hey now, you know, <laughs> how are are we supposed to be known? The five themes of Christian identity will be disappointing to a lot of modern Christians because read their social media, they're mad and proud of it. Uh, read their dismissive doctrinal arguments, they're mad and they are proud of it. They hate sinners and they're proud of it. They have contempt for lost people and they are proud of it. They have the heart of the Pharisee and scribe who says, God, I thank you I'm not like that person. I'm glad I'm not like that person over there. And they are missing Christian dress for success. There's a better way to carry your way uh, self in your world. And uh, these five themes are compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and, yes, patience. Oh, God, I've got to do better down here. I need you to help me show my world that I am seriously following your path. And I am showing people, even if they don't take a road trip with me, even if we don't have coffee together, they know I'm trying hard to comport myself in a testimonial way. And can some church folks say, me too? Me too. Uh, this is uh, how the church truly becomes the right kind of counterculture. It is the responsibility of the church. And you notice I preached about this last week too. It is the responsibility of the church to be counterculture. The world is antichrist. It is, what is antichrist? It is promoting self. Do you see? Christ is a life of others. It is a life of my, li my sacrifice for you. It is the opposite. Jesus himself did not come to be served, but what? To serve and laid down his life as a ransom for many. What's the opposite of Christ? Antichrist. What is that? Promotion of self. Now, let me shock you by saying uh, the church can be antichrist. Come on, somebody. I'm going to need you just to take some time right there. The church can be antichrist. We can miss the others-focused element of serving God. And we can miss the patient with others. And I can do it just as much as you can do it. Because what we can replace real 
Christ-like holiness with is a self-serve signaling that we actually are better than you. And we can be the opposite of Christian ministry by missing the themes. Can you take, is this too heavy for you today? I I love you all. I'll give you a hug after church. Uh, (laughs) The themes of Christian signaling, Christian signaling, all groups signal. How should we signal? Uh, One designer, Tom Ford, said, dressing well is a form of good manners. Thomas Fuller said, good clothes open all doors. Uh, uh, Rachel Zoe said, style is a way to say who you are without having to speak. That's my favorite one. Style is a way to say who you are without having to speak. As you can tell, looking at me, you can see I am an aging old guy, and um, I just don't think a whole lot about it. And so uh, that is accurate to who I actually am. And so style is a way of saying who you are without having to speak. Paul says your Christian life should have some behaviors that identify you even when people don't know you, even when people haven't done a summer trip with you, even when people have not uh, had a cookout with you, your life, your behavior, your behavior. Somebody say behavior. This is the five themes of Christian success. Your behavior signals who you are. Let me give you some more. We're going to talk first about kindness. First Thessalonians chapter five, verse number 15. Make sure you never pay back one wrong with another wrong. Instead, always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. First Thessalonians 5.15. Your kindness should be known to all. Somebody say all. That's the people who don't agree with you theologically. That's the people who are never, ever, ever coming back to church with you. They should know your kindness. Philippians 4 and 5. Kindness is simply love in action. Now I want to tell you a story. Luke 10. A lawyer asked Jesus, we're at verse 25, as a test and a trap, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, what is written into the law? Uh, what is your reading of it? The man answered, love God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength, and all your mind, and uh, oh, also your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, you've answered rightly, do this, and you'll live, or you'll have life. Uh, but the lawyer wanting to justify himself, wanting to justify himself, wanting to justify himself. Don't you love it when faith people believe, argue with God? Um, and who is my neighbor? Aha, I got a trick question there. I'm sure that you would not have thought of the answer to that. Everybody loves it when they're smarter than Jesus. Jesus answered, said, not uh, a calculus of a theology, not a ritual of action, but a story, a story, a story. God uses stories when he wants to change the heart, when he wants to change your life, when he wants to change your world. God tells you a story. A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves. Uh, this road is called the way of blood in uh, Jewish history because it is such a twisting that's easiest at ambushes, and it was probably the most dangerous road uh, between two cities of commerce in the area, in the region, which is why Jesus is using it. He goes down from Jerusalem to Jericho, fell among thieves, stripped him of his clothing, wounded him and departing, departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw, he passed by on the other side. I've heard 
some people say, well, he couldn't help because he was going to the temple um, and he could not have touched a dead body. But if you'll notice, the Bible says, uh, came down from Jerusalem to Jericho and then it emphasizes it again, down. Uh, Jerusalem is about 1,500 feet higher than Jericho. Uh, don't try to make an excuse for this kind of behavior. The Lord has a point to make and it would behoove all of us to hear the point. And when Jesus, and when the good Samaritan saw him, he, or, or the, excuse me, when a certain priest saw him, he passed by on the other side. Then a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked to pass by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He had compassion. They're different people. They come from different backgrounds. They are theological opposites, theological opposites. The Samaritans um, believe they uh, differently. They have their own holy city. They have their own temple at uh, Mount Gerizim. Uh, I just slaughtered that pronunciation, but I'm actually having a mental block. You wouldn't understand. And uh, the Jews actually destroyed their, uh, when they had an army and they were strong, they destroyed their uh, holy city. Uh, but they're opposites. They hate each other. Um, uh, most Jews will go all the way around the long way not to have to go through Samaria uh, because of the hatred with each other. Jesus is going to use somebody who is very steeped in false doctrine as an example of someone who could do good and represent something about the kingdom of God that people who have truth can miss. He's going to use somebody who is in false doctrine to illustrate something fundamental about the kingdom of God that someone with truth can miss. Oh, but I've got the truth. Okay. Wow. Moving right along. As he journeyed, came where he was, saw him, had compassion. So he went to him. He bandaged his wound, poured on, poured on oil and wine, set him on his own animal. So imagine this man is on his beast and he's walking. Uh, brought him to an inn, took care of him. The next day when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper. Take care of him. Whatever more you spend, when I come back, I will repay you. Uh, of which of these three do you think was a neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And the lawyer said the one who showed mercy on him. The lawyer couldn't even say the Samaritan. He couldn't say the good Samaritan. It would have been more natural in the Aramaic for him to answer not in a pronoun, but a proper noun. But he, like other religious people, goes all the way around Samaria so doesn't have to go through Samaria. He can't even say the good Samaritan who Jesus is referring to as a proper noun. He refuses the proper noun and he simply gives a pronoun by saying, oh, the one who showed mercy on him. Jesus said, okay, go be like a Samaritan. Go and do likewise. Jesus does not ask him, which one of these guys has the truth? Oh, that people don't, I, I know, I know, it's hard for me too. He doesn't ask which one of these are baptizing the right way. In the time, well, let me just move down quickly because I'm almost out of time here. Um, I, I have one more little detail I want to share. It's at least a little anecdote, and I'm trying to round up here. Um, the day before uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated, he preached a message on the Good Samaritan the day before. And in his message, which was entitled, quote, I've been to the mountaintop, which you probably can find the text to if you look, um, he says uh, this. 
Uh, this is him preaching in the message, I've been to the mountaintop the day before he was assassinated. I remember when Mrs. King and I were in Jerusalem, we rented a car, drove down from J Jerusalem down to Jericho, and as soon as we got on that road, I said to my wife, I can see why Jesus used this as a setting for his parable. Uh, it's a winding, meandering road. It's really conducive for ambushing. You start out in Jerusalem, uh, which is about uh, 1,200 miles, and then he corrects himself because it was a slip of the tongue. I want you to know all preachers have slips of the tongue. You see, so don't be ugly to me. Thank you in advance. Uh, you start out in Jerusalem, which is about 1,200 miles, or rather 1,200 feet above sea level. And by the time you get down to Jer Jericho, 15 or 20 minutes later in a car, you're about 2,200 feet below sea level. It is a dangerous road. That's the end of him referring to it. The next day, he was, he was himself ambushed on the road, um, so to speak, to use a metaphor. And so how do we, how do we know that um, whether or not we have everything else right, we are signaling, we're dressing for success to our world. What are they looking for? Are they looking to braid our hair a certain way? Are they looking for us to wear a certain uh, jacket? Are they looking for us to, in some way, wear a hat in a certain way? Uh, could it be that we could wear the approved hat or we could wear the approved jacket and still be a jerk? Yep. Not only is it possible... It's more common than it's not. And the same guy or gal who will be ugly to you because they don't approve of the way you dress will go out and, uh, uh, you understand what I'm saying, it is a challenge for all of us. It's a human problem. It's not that our church is good and other churches are bad. Don't be simplistic. It's a human problem where we care more about uh, the title of who we are and the uh, watch pretense of who we are than we care about being a good Samaritan in our world. So we have three possible attitudes toward people. Musicians come up so you can remind me that I'm trying to quit. Uh, three possible attitudes. The, number one, we can keep our distance. That's exampled here by Jesus in the story. There's a category of people who are very, very appropriate. They are steeped in the truth. They are so righteous. Their feet don't touch the ground when they walk. Um, and their solution to this problem, uh, their solution to the greatest commandment, this is the greatest commandment. In other words, they're not missing something small. They're missing the whole enchilada. The greatest commandment, their solution is to keep their distance. We read about this guy in 30, 31 of chapter 10. He goes down, to, uh, uh, the priest going down that road, verse 31. But when he saw the man, what does he do? He walked by on the other side. He walked by on the other side. I can keep my distance. The second guy in the story that Jesus shows us is a possible path for religious life is that we can be curious but not really compassionate. In other words, we can be mildly curious, but we are not moved to anything. And this is the Levite. He went over close to the guy. The first guy keeps his distance. The Levite goes close to the guy, and he surveys him. He checks him out. And can you imagine this religious guy? He's like, ooh, I bet that hurt. Ooh, what? Boom! Oops, upside your head. Oops, upside your head. <laughs> Better him than me. First option is to keep our distance. Second option is to be curious, but not moved by compassion. 
And the third option is to ask myself, how can I help? Now, let's be honest. There's a lot of things you can't do. That's the wrong question. The right question is, how could I help? Let me tell you one of the things this man could do by helping. The guy couldn't walk. He couldn't carry him, but he had a beast of burden. Do you see? And since he had a beast of burden, that was something he could do. He gathers the man up. He puts him on a beast of burden. Now the man has a way out of his circumstances. Oh, I feel the spirit of the Lord right now. I hope you can feel this testimony in your own heart and in your life. If he wouldn't have had a beast of burden, he would have been much less able to help, but he could. So he did. We are not limited by things we can't do. We're limited by the things we could do and won't. Okay, now what does he do? He bandages him. He had bandages. He wouldn't have been much help if he didn't have any bandages, did he? God can help your life be blessed and organized. He can help you be resourceful. He can help you find a way to make a difference. If It's not good enough to show up with no way to help. You have to have some bandages. He poured in the oil and the wine to help as he could with infection. What if he didn't have any oil and wine? Do you see? He's doing not just what he should. He's doing what he can. God, help us to be disciplined enough and spiritual enough where we actually can help. We're spiritually good for something. Lastly, he takes him to an end and he pulls money out of his pocket. You can't take someone to an end if you don't have any money. I need you guys to be blessed. I need you to be organized. I need you to be disciplined. I need you to know how to pray. I'm speaking for the Lord because none of this is for me. The Lord needs all of us to be disciplined and organized. The Lord needs all of us to have our house in as much order as we can manage so we have capacity. This church has to be a hospital. That means we need some people who know how to help in the hospital. We can't all be broken. Lord, help me to do a better job than I'm doing in here. Help me to convey what you put in my spirit. How do I become a kinder person? Let me round up very quickly. I must see the needs of the people around me. I have to have eyes to see. 1 Corinthians 10, 24, look out for the good of the others. Luke 10, 33, when he saw the man's condition, his heart went out to him. Secondly, I must be moved by their pain. Excuse me, by their uh, circumstances. Um, this is sympathizing. When he saw him, he was filled with compassion. Um, in other words, stop. Let me tell you how Christian people oftentimes live. We see sinners and we ask ourselves, what's wrong with them? Let me tell you what we don't ask ourselves. What happened to them? We see crazy. We say, what's wrong with you? We don't ask what happened to you. The path to compassion is asking what happened to you. Galatians 6 and 2, share each other's burdens and problems. And in this way, in this way, obey the law of Christ. The law of Christ. It's kind of a big deal. Uh, Do what you can, when you can, as you can. 
Don't put it off. Seize the moment. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, poured on the oil and the wine. Galatians 6 and 10, whenever we have the opportunity to help anyone, we should do it. But we should give special attention to those who are in the family of believers. And then be willing to use what God has given you to bless more than you and yours. Be willing to use what God has given you to bless more than you or yours. Reach in that heavy pocket that you have, weighted down with all the denarii of the Roman Empire. You know you're loaded. And you pull, if you don't think you are, I'm going to get you a ticket to Haiti, and then you'll come back knowing how rich you are. And then, what's a bad day for you? Your transmission or your air conditioning goes out. (laughs) That's a bad day. That's not a bad day for a lot of the world. Reach in your pocket and say, I am going to use what God has given me to bless someone beyond me. Stand with me across the house. This is the themes of Christian fashion. (laughs) This is your identity to be known. This is how you put on a uniform to signify to your world what is the biblical, appropriate, and Christ-like manner to say, I am no longer living for myself, but I am living for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I feel like starting with myself, we all need to call upon the Lord and ask Him to bring to fruition in our life a heart that puts God first and loves people through the transformation of God in our heart. Would you pray with me right now, Lord Jesus? I'm praying that we as a church family would be moved by the example given to us in the scripture, that we as a church family would be moved by the heart of God, moved by your uh, compassion for broken people. Lord Jesus, help us to be uh, not just recipients of your goodness, but to be active, um, uh, as it were, cisterns filled with water, filled with the blessings of God, able to carry that into a, a a dusty desert and to make a difference in our world. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us. Thank you.